Well, good morning, everybody. It is super fun uh, to see all of you here this morning. It's been a super great last couple weeks. Pancake Man, always awesome. More importantly, even than that, is all the ministries that are getting underway again. I know this last Wednesday, our, our Wednesday middle school and high school ministries got underway again. And then just knowing that we're just on that season where we are going to be interacting with each other on a weekly basis in some of these weekly ministries is just so cool to, to be back in that swing of, of things again with this season. So, um, so that's awesome. And then it's, it's great to have all of you here with us this morning, worshiping on a Sunday morning. Whether you've been here for two Sundays or 20 years, we're really glad that all of you are here with us this morning. Well, today what we're doing is we are continuing this series called Nine Things That You Simply Must Do. And since we just started the series last week with Pastor Jeff kicking us off, let me take just a couple minutes and give you some background on this series. Uh, this series really came out of some of Pastor Steve's personal time praying for, for what's best for our church. He read through this book by, the, by this guy by the name of Dr. Henry Cloud a while ago, a book by the same title, Nine Things You Simply Must Do. He read through it. He resonated with it. He worked through this book with a group of guys that he meets with. They resonated with it. And so, so they're like, this, this is something that's worth giving to a broader audience. But, but what's so valuable about this book, the idea behind it is that there are certain common ingredients that, that thriving lives have in common. And when we take that big idea of the book, that there, are, that there are these certain thriving lives, that, that there are these certain common ingredients that thriving lives have in common, when we put that on top of the very biblical idea that Jesus came to give us life and give it abundantly, give it to the full, he came to show us life the way that it was meant to be lived, then we see that these nine things that we simply must do, they're wisdom, right? They're wisdom that help us cultivate this thriving life that Jesus wants for us. And so, so what we're doing each week in this series is we're lining up what we're preaching on with the different chapters in the book. But what we're doing is we're looking very closely at God's word to see what the Bible has to teach us about these ideas. And as we'll see each week in this series, the Bible has a lot to tell us about each of these topics. And so let me pray for us, and then I'm really excited to move into this second week of the series. Heavenly Father, God, we are so grateful for the chance to worship you through music, through giving, and now, Father, through hearing and responding to your word. And God, my request at this point in our service is just very simple. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see the wonderful things that are in your word, and may we respond to this appropriately with, with respect and humility and obedience. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, the principle we are looking at today is a principle called pull the tooth. And the, the, the driving idea behind this principle is, is that we need to deal with or get rid of the things in our lives that distract us from what we should be focusing on. We need to deal with or get rid of the stuff in our life that takes us in a direction very different than the direction we should be headed in, right? And so, so when I was thinking about this pull the tooth idea all week, leading up to this sermon, the, the scene that kept coming to my mind was, was this scene from the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. M many of you may be, be familiar with the movie. Tom Hanks uh, gets stranded on this remote desert island for about four years after this plane crash. And before the crash in this movie, we learn that Tom Hanks' character is having some toothache problems. 
These problems, they don't go away after he crash lands on this, on this island, and instead they only get worse. He's, he's in probably constant pain. He's having difficulty eating. It gets to the point where this toothache is starting to hinder his ability to even survive on this island. And so he finally deals with it. And so in this really memorable scene, I rented the movie just to watch this scene again this week, he, he takes this ice skate that had floated up on the island in the wreckage with him in a package. He takes this ice skate, he puts the blade in his mouth against the infected tooth, takes this big rock, and, and knocks the tooth out. He deals with it, he pulls the tooth. You see, if, if his goal was survival, he couldn't let this big toothache distraction keep him from that. And so he dealt with it. Well, this morning, the goal that I want to put in front of all of us, it's not just survival, but it's this thriving life that Jesus offers everyone who chooses to follow him. I, I, want, to, I want to explain what I mean by this thriving life a little bit more fully in just a few minutes, but for now, let me just say that when I talk with people and they hear that Jesus came not to diminish our life, but when they hear that Jesus came to, to give us full life, life the way that it was supposed to be lived, people resonate with that. People want that. And, and just like Tom Hanks' tooth threatened his reaching his goal in Castaway, there are lots of things that, that, that get in the way of us reaching this goal that Jesus has put out for us, this thriving life that he offers us. There are obstacles that get in our way every week, maybe even every day. Sometimes it's stuff that's inside of us. It's our own misplaced priorities. Or, or maybe it's just our flat-out sin against God that can create these barriers between us and this thriving life Jesus offers. Sometimes these obstacles, though, are outside of ourselves. They're external factors that we have no influence over, but that still threaten the thriving life Jesus wants us to live. And so these obstacles are real. And, and that's why the message we have this morning is so important. That's why, that's why it should change everybody's life, not just this week, but moving forward from here. It, it, it's this. We need to deal with the distractions that can interrupt the life Jesus offers us. We need to deal with these distractions. And the reason this is so important is because these distractions, these obstacles, they're inevitable. They're a given. But the way we respond to them isn't. That's where we have a choice. You see, we, we can choose to respond to these things correctly. And when we do, we actually grow through them. And through them, we discover more and more of the thriving life Jesus offers us. We can experience it in great measure. But we can also ignore these things. We can put them off. We can neglect them. We can respond to these obstacles in very wrong ways. And when that happens, we're in a spot we don't want to be. And we're very far short of the thriving life Jesus offers us. And so this morning, the approach we're going to take is I just want to ask and answer three questions that we'll spend most of our time today working through. First question is, what is the thriving life? It just makes sense that we need to get on the same page with this first, right? Because if our destination is wrong, there's no way we're going to get to the right place. So what is the thriving life? Second question, what distracts from this thriving life? We're going to see two things they distract from this, two major categories that can, that can keep us from the thriving life. And then third question is, so what do we do about it? How do we deal with it? How do we pull the tooth? 
So these things don't hinder the thriving life Jesus offers for us. So let's go to that first question. What is the thriving life? Again, it's important to ask this question first because it is so easy to develop misconceptions about this. I get magazines unsolicited in my mailbox every day with people suggesting to me what the thriving life looks like. So let's just be clear on this, Brookside. The thriving life ultimately, at its most fundamental level, is not a four-car garage or a three-car garage or a two-car garage or even a one-car garage. The thriving life is not a certain number of friends, either that we meet up with after work or that we interact with on social media. It's not the number of likes we get to our Facebook post. Uh, the, The thriving life isn't a certain number of zeros after a paycheck. No. The thriving life that Jesus offers is this. It's a relationship with the God of the universe who loves you more than anyone else. The thriving life that Jesus offers is a relationship with himself at the center. That's key. Because if we have everything else, but if Jesus is not at the center of our life, we are missing out on this thriving life Jesus wants us to have. To some of you, this idea of the thriving life being in the life of Jesus at the center, it is, it's, it's, it's anticlimactic for you maybe. You're like, that's it? Yes, yes, that's it. It's not anticlimactic. Let's, let's highlight just a few verses from God's word today that, that reinforce how, how worth it, how enough a relationship with Jesus is for the life we want to be living. Just write these scriptures down. Uh, you can turn to them, to them later. I'm going to be flying through. I'm just highlighting them. First of all, in, in, in Psalm 16, verse 2, the psalmist says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So I can have everything else, but if I don't have God, I'm missing it. Just a few verses down in that same psalm, verse 5, the psalmist says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. He's saying, God, you alone are enough for me. In verse 8 of that same psalm, he says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So the psalmist is saying that to have a thriving life, we need to have Jesus at the center of it. So, so, so that's the Old Testament perspective, right? Let's jump ahead to the next major section of the Bibles, the New Testament, where the Apostle Paul is going to say something that sounds very familiar to what this psalmist says in Psalm 16. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9 is what you can write down. And here's some of what Paul says there. He says that whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And then he says, what is more, I consider everything a loss. Then listen to this. Listen. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The surpassing worth. Nothing compares to it. For whose sake I have lost all things. Compared to Jesus, I consider those things garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. So for Paul, the thriving life, the life that surpasses anything else, is built on and around Jesus Christ. And then let's hear what Jesus has to say about this, because Jesus wants to speak into this too. In John chapter 17, he is praying to his Father, and he says that this is eternal life, 
And Jesus isn't just talking about life that never ends here. He's talking about the thriving life that we can experience now. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So, so for Jesus, the thriving life starts with relationship with himself. And so, so if a thriving life starts with Jesus at the center, then what we do to sustain that is that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because this is something that we don't make a decision once and then we can drift after that. No, we decide to have Jesus at the center of our lives and then we move forward with our eyes fixed on Jesus as, as the best thing, as the thing apart from whom we have no good thing, like we saw in Psalm 16. And this is where Hebrews 12 is key. I, this, this is where I invite all of you to turn with me there to that passage of the scripture. Hebrews 12 the author of Hebrews uh, in chapter 11 had just been writing about these great men and women of faith who should be an inspiration and an example and a challenge to everyone here. Uh, so, so writing on the heels of that in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, these men and women of faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then here it is, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. There it is, right? We're to fix our eyes on Jesus because only a life built on him, around him, and fixed on him is that thriving life Jesus wants us, wants us to have. So, so there's that first definition of what is the thriving life. It's a life built around Jesus as the center. But Hebrews 12, it also answers the second question that we're asking this morning. So, so if that's what the thriving life is, what distracts from that? And we saw it again in verse 1 of Hebrews 12, where, where the writer of Hebrews says, we're to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Those are the things that will keep us from fixing our eyes on Jesus. Those are the obstacles that every day want to get in our way of the race that's marked out for us. And, and so, so we've got two categories of things that, that can be an obstacle to this thriving life. I'll call them the minor leagues and the big leagues. Things that will get in the way from us fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let's, let's look at each of these individually and let's start with the minor leagues. This is everything that hinders that we see in Hebrews 12. Now, now hear me say this. These, these things, this everything that hinders, it may not necessarily be bad things. No, these can be good things that still distract us from fixing our eyes on Jesus. There's a super smart New Testament scholar dude, is what I call these guys, um, by the name of F.F. Bruce. To be one of those super smart dudes, you need to just do your first two initials. By the way, it's kind of how that works. So it's F.F. Bruce, C.S. Lewis, J.I. Packer, all that sort of stuff. But so here's what F.F. Bruce has to say about this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, There are many things which may be perfectly all right in their own way, but which hinder a competitor in the race of faith. There are weights which must be laid aside. It may well be that what is a hindrance to one is not a hindrance to another. Each must learn for himself or herself what, is, what in his or her case is a weight or impediment. 
And there's this great illustration of, of good things becoming distracting things in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Let me read that passage for you. So Luke 10, verse 38 says that, that, that as Jesus and his disciples, as they're on their way, he comes to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. And so Jesus isn't here to catch up on some rest. He's here to interact. And Mary is taking full advantage of this, of this experience of life interacting with Jesus. But verse 40 says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she comes to Jesus and she asks, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answers, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Think about it. Think about Martha in that passage, what she's doing. She's doing good stuff, right? I mean, there's no way you can look at what she's doing. She's serving and say that it's bad. The Bible commends serving. But where she gets off track is that she's just distracted by the serving. We, we see that she is serving in a way that makes her upset and anxious, her focus is on herself, and she misses out on experiencing the presence of Jesus in all of its fullness. You see, Mary's acts of serving for Jesus, they actually distract her from experiencing the presence of Jesus in her midst. Even good things can be distractions that can pull us away from this thriving life built on and around Jesus Christ. And so this story shows us that to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we cannot ignore this issue of priorities in our lives. You see, Mary chose what was better. The passage says that. While Martha's priorities were misplaced, she chose to focus on something of lesser importance, and when she did so, she missed out on experiencing the physical presence of Jesus in her midst, in her home, teaching her, interacting with her. I can't tell you what this, what this minor league category of distractions might look like in your life. But, but I can tell you that there are neutral things. There are even otherwise good things that want to be dominating things in your life. And my guess is I don't even need to list options of what this might be. Most of us are self-aware to know what is, what is taking up our time that shouldn't be taking up our time? What is distracting us from fixing our eyes on Jesus that shouldn't be, that, that doesn't need to be? Or if we're not that self-aware, usually we've got a few close friends or a loving spouse who will say, you're spending time doing that again? Seriously? You know? Uh, we know what some of those things that compete for our attention are. And so, so here's where the question that we need to answer comes up. Okay, so with these minor leagues, what do we do about them? How do we deal with them? How do we pull the tooth so these things don't hinder our thriving life with God? Well, the place to start is always by simply reminding yourself of the betterness of Jesus Christ. Go back to those verses in Psalms or Philippians 3 and, and fix in your brain and in your heart that Jesus really is our portion and our cup. 
Are those just words you say? Or is that a statement that you agree with? A statement that you feel? Jesus alone is our portion in our cup. Maybe you just recall times in your life when you have experienced the nearness of Jesus in some very tangible, memorable ways. Draw fresh lessons from those past experiences and bring them into your future present. Or into your present, you know, and then move ahead into the future, continuing to draw on those where you just know Jesus is better. Another thing to consider is to willingly forego certain things in your life that are competing for the place that only Jesus should have. To, to, willingly, to willingly forego neutral or even otherwise good things, not forever, but for a season, and to say, because Jesus is better, I need to clear away the things that compete with him in my life. For a few days, maybe for a couple weeks. It's something as simple as, as when you're trying to read the Bible, this is me, I'm trying to read the Bible and I've got my phone usually on the table because I always put my phone on the table right in front of me and I've got way too many feeds coming through my phone so I can get distracted by Twitter updates, the Husker game, whatever it might be, all these feeds that are coming through my phone and so I'm like looking at the Bible, oh, tweet came through, looking at the Bible, oh, Facebook status update. Those sorts of things are easy to clear away, folks. Put your phone on sleep, turn it over, put it in another room, blow it up, whatever you need to do to clear away the distraction, right? Leave the TV off for three evenings this week. And instead of unwinding that way, unwind by reading scripture and praying and interacting with your family about what God is doing in your midst. Go for a prayer walk in your neighborhood. Leave your laptop at work, maybe. Leave work at work. And then in the evening, devote your attention for three nights this week, to, to, to practicing the fruit of the Spirit at home with your family. To practice love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and so on. Practice those fruit of the Spirit. Put Jesus at the center of your life and clear away those distractions that compete with that. In the words of Hebrews 12, let's throw off everything that hinders. But there's this second category of things that we can't ignore either. The big leagues. To draw on language from Hebrews again, this is the sin that so easily entangles. And so, so if our first category of things, if the minor leagues had been neutral or otherwise good things, we're here in this, in this shift of category where, where these big leagues, they're stuff that we know is out of bounds. They're the stuff that, that, that we know we shouldn't be doing, but we do anyway. They're the stuff, the sin we do that hurts ourselves, damages relationships, and creates space, gaps between us and God. It, it, it's the sin that we know is growing unchecked in our hearts. And it's easy for us to, to justify this and say, oh, oh uh, 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 I've not done anything with those thoughts yet. I've not, I've not had that conversation with a woman who's not my spouse. Uh, I've not actually hit my brother, who keeps annoying me. You know, it's the sin that's growing up unchecked in our hearts, but we know where it can grow. These things, this category of sin that so easily entangles, it doesn't only distract us from life with Jesus, it can derail us. And so we need to get very serious and very intentional about dealing with these as well. 
The story that I want to use from the Bible to illustrate this point is the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. A lot of us probably know the story, some of the broad brushstroke details of it. Cain and Abel, they are Adam and Eve's sons. And there's a situation, there's a scene here in the story where they both offer sacrifices to God. Abel from his flocks and Cain from his crops. And what we learn as we continue reading through the story is that God looks with favor on Abel's sacrifice, but he does not look with favor on Cain's. And the way Cain responds to this, we read in the story, is that it makes him very angry, is what God's word says. And then, and I love this, and then God approaches Cain. He very graciously intervenes. And and he encourages Cain to respond to this emotional, spiritual funk that he is. He says, Cain, respond in the right way, pal. Right? Let's, let's pick up the conversation between God and Cain. It's kind of one-sided. We'll call it a conversation here in Genesis 4, 6. So then the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So, so there's the way forward, Cain. There's hope. There's acceptance. But there's also a warning that God gives Cain and us, I think. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Sin's desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. And so, so here God approaches Cain, and he says, Cain, deal with his buddy. <laughs> deal with it now before it grows, before the weed grows. Pull the tooth, Cain. Here's your chance. And we know how things turn out, though. Verse 8 says that, that Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacks his brother Abel and kills him. What is so scary from that passage is that it is like Cain absolutely ignores God's conversation with him. He doesn't mull it over that we read. The the, the sense we get from the sequence of this passage is is that Cain hears God, yep, and then he keeps plowing forward in his course of sinful, murderous action. That is scary. Brookside, but it confirms what we learned about sin from this passage. Sin is crouching at our door. Sin's desire is to have us, and sin had Cain, right? The imagery used here is vivid. We we, we can picture it. The imagery here is of sin crouching, ready to pounce when the opportunity arises, We've, we've all seen cats crouching in this sort of position, right? Just a few weekends ago, I was at my in-law's farm. They've got property that has a, a ton of cats and kittens on it. And so my boys go there. They love to name the kittens. So each of the kittens has, has a, a name from the Lego movie right now. So there's like Wild Style and... Uh, there's this, they, they named a kitten 1980s Lego guy, a space guy, so, so that's that. So, um, but so, so there's these kittens that they love to interact with. 
And so at any given time, these kittens and these cats that are running around, they're waiting to pounce on, on a shoelace that's untied, or they're waiting to pounce on each other. Or if a bird lands in the yard, you, you can see the cat sneaking up on the bird, crouching down, ready to attack. It's what cats do. Put that picture in your mind, because that's also what sin does. But where that analogy with the cats is very, is very insufficient, where it falls short, is that cats are cute and harmless. Sin is not. So, so the picture isn't of a kitten ready to pounce on a shoelace in ourselves as the bystander. The picture here is of a lion ready to pounce, and we are the prey. This is life and death, folks. Sin's desire is to have you. And that's why we need to take it so seriously and deal with it appropriately. And so we're back to our question. How do we deal with it? What do we do about it? What do we do with these big league issues, these sin issues that need attention? Some of us this morning, we are caught in the position that Cain was in when God first approached him. Maybe you've been toying with stuff that you know is sin for a while, and it hasn't boiled over into action yet in your life, but you know it's there. Maybe you know that sin is starting to get a foothold in your life with attitudes and emotions that you're having a tougher and tougher time controlling. If this is you, consider this morning to be God's gracious intervention in your life. Say that there's hope, there's a way out. Pull the tooth. Deal with it early. Don't, don't wait until the infection spreads to deal with this. Get at sin in its inception stages in your life and not when it is full grown. And so, so if this is you, redirect your life to Jesus. Build your life around Jesus. Respond to his gracious invitation not to proceed down this course, but to change direction and to return to him. But I also know that others of us, we are more in the position that Cain was in after he had followed through with this course of action. The, 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 the sin isn't just simmering in our hearts and in our, in our insides. It is boiling over into actions that we know hurt us, others, and, and we feel this chasm that it creates between us and God. If this is you, I want to encourage you that your story is not done yet. God always offers hope. So my invitation to you is to repent. People think you need to be yelling when you say that word. No. Let me say it with a smile. Repent. That's, that's the biblical way of saying take a U-turn and start the road of restoration and repentance and reconciliation, the road out of your sin. And the promise we have from Scripture is that because of what Jesus has done for us, that as we repent and believe and confess and return to Jesus, we do so as forgiven people. We do so as cleansed people. We do so as washed people who are, who are at the same time accompanied by Jesus even as we fix our eyes on him as we move forward. And so this morning, we have been 
responding to three questions that we need to be asking if we're to live the thriving life that Jesus offers us. Ultimately, we've seen that to, that to live this sort of life, we need to deal with the distractions that get in the way. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And, and, and let me just say, praise God that we can deal with our distractions this way, right? Because of what Jesus has already done to deal the final death blow to sin and separation from God. That's why I can say there's hope no matter what your situation. We just need to build our lives on and around Jesus Christ. But before I'm done this morning, I want to get really practical to help this material take shape in your life in some identifiable ways. So, so I've asked and answered three questions. Now I invite you to, to respond to three questions I'm going to be asking you. This isn't something you verbally do, nothing like that. Write these questions down. And then either today or early this week, take some time to prayerfully and reflectively respond to these questions. So the so first question I have for you is what is one practical step you need to take to fix your eyes on Jesus? A very practical step you need to take to fix your eyes on Jesus. Some of you here this morning, you're, you're, you're brand new, not just to this church, but to church, period. You're, you, you would call yourself maybe even a seeker. You're just checking stuff out. Maybe you were invited here by a friend. Maybe you came here on your own to try to get answers to questions you've never had responded to well. If this is you, if you're just starting out, the best way to start fixing your eyes on Jesus is to let him introduce himself to you. Get to know who he is, what he did for you, and what that offers you. The, the, the best way to do this, the primary way to do this, is to read the Gospels. Any one of them is good. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Start reading and discover who Jesus is. And then I encourage you also, if this is you, read alongside of a, of a, of a friend who you know is a Christian, who you trust, and process what you're reading with them. This is where the Explore class that we're starting here at Brookside is so key. But it's getting to know who Jesus Christ is, what he offers you. Others of you, you, you know you should be fixing your eyes on Jesus, but you also know how easily distractions distract you. Maybe it's the neutral stuff. Maybe it's the phone on the table when you're trying to read your Bible. Or maybe it is the sin that you're caught in, that you feel the weight of, and that you want to get out of. Whatever you're caught in, for you as you try to fix your eyes on Jesus, let me say fix your eyes on Jesus' forgiveness. Because I, I believe that the more we appreciate Jesus' forgiveness, that that is what gives us fresh energy to move forward, continuing to fix our eyes on Jesus. We never move past God's grace. And so if this is you, return to Jesus. Let him pick you up, let him dust you off, and then let him accompany you as you get back in this race marked out for you. And there's, there's a group of us here this morning that you you're doing stuff right. You have been faithfully fixing your eyes on Jesus. You have been faithfully running the race Jesus has set out for you. And if this is you, thank you. Thanks for your example. We, we need saints who will point us forward. We need saints who will be an example to us as we, as we run behind you and try to keep pace and look ahead to say, it can be done. So thanks. 
but, but, but if this is you if, you, if you're faithfully running, let me remind you of something you probably already know. This race is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And it's not a marathon on an even track. It is a marathon with all sorts of ups and downs through all sorts of uneven terrain. So keep moving faithfully forward. So that's the first question. What, what do we need to do to fix our eyes on Jesus? The, the second question to help this material take shape in your life is, is what sorts of distractions can keep you from following through with that? Nobody else can really ultimately answer this second question but you. Because a lot of these distractions are unique to us as individuals. There's stuff that I'm tempted by or that I can be distracted by that you guys say, seriously? <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. So, so we need to look inside of ourselves and say, what are the obstacles that you're going to face? And then, and then third question, what are you going to do about them? What will you do to deal with this distraction? What appropriate and tangible steps will you take to make sure that you pull the tooth, that this distraction doesn't keep you down or point you away from Jesus, but that you, that you pull the tooth, you work through it, and you keep running this race, this, this race fixed with your eyes fixed on Jesus and experiencing the thriving life that he came to offer. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we are so grateful for what you've done for us. We're so grateful for this thriving life that you offer us. Jesus, we want to experience that. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would have such a compelling vision of the thriving life with you at the center that we would be motivated to do the hard work of clearing away distractions and running this race you've marked out for us. So, Jesus, we need you to do that work in our hearts do that work in our hearts. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.